Hello, and welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a podcast about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series by two moms who write about autism and who happen to also be Star Trek fans. Together, we talk about the new series, how it relates to previous versions of Star Trek, and any autism issues that we happen to see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hey, this is Vicki. Together, we are Moms Going Boldly. Today, we're going to be discussing the first two episodes of this brand new series, The Vulcan Hello and The Battle at the Binary Stars. So what we saw in the story at the very beginning was uh, we saw Michael Burnham and her captain and they're on a planet and they are going to sort of revitalize the local water supply because otherwise the native population is going to die. What did you think of that? I mean, from the standpoint of prime directive issues, what did you think about that right out of the gate? Yeah, I found that odd, although they did try to do it without um, being seen. So I guess in a way they're not, (laughs) although they didn't call it the prime directive. What did they call it? I can't remember. Oh, they called it general order one. So I'm wondering if there is a prime directive yet. That's a good question. I remember in the original series, they also referred to it as general order one, but it had not been fully fleshed out yet. So maybe that's why they felt comfortable doing that. It did find that odd. It also reminded me of the opening scene from, which one was it? The the J.J. Abrams movie, is it Into Darkness, where they're on the planet trying to save the people from the volcano? So still sort of same idea. You're They're in disguise trying to to surreptitiously save a civilization. Not supposed to be getting involved, but they're going to anyway. Right, which, you know, from and and it's funny because when I was watching that, I was thinking, well, in the movie, this was fraught with disaster. Is that what's going to happen here, too? (laughs) It was a relief when they got away with it and then just left. Right, right. Then the captain is talking to Michael about she's ready for her own command. What did you think about Michael's response to that comment? There wasn't really all that much of a response, I thought. I agree. It seemed to be underwhelming. But again, after watching the rest of the episode and how she seems to be overly concerned with the captain. Okay, yeah, that's a really good observation. She was not ready to be let out of the nest. Mom's trying to push her out of the nest and she's not ready. That's... A really good observation, which then, you know, adds a distinct level of painful irony to the fact that at the end of this two-part episode, she loses her mom for good. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a really good observation. So we get beamed up to uh, the ship, the Shenzhou, um, after they get lost in a sandstorm. And we see our really cold and unwelcoming and not friendly bridge, which is really sad. Did you happen to um, notice or read anything about some of the decoration in the captain's ready room? Did you hear anything about that? No, I tried not to read anything because I didn't want, I 
I didn't want it to influence my opinion. No, I didn't. I did that too before the episode. I didn't read anything either. But afterwards, I learned that some really sharp-eyed people noticed that she has a bottle of wine from the Picard Vineyard and she had books that the spines of which were all titles of original series episodes. No, I didn't notice that. That's so cool. So you're going to have to go back and look for that. And that's more than one thing I have to go back and look at now. Yep. (laughs) So then we're... um, we're on the ship, we're doing our exploration, and, and they're exploring a binary star system, if I remember correctly, and they discover some very strange energy readings coming from an asteroid field. Is that correct? Is that my remember? That? Yeah. And so they realize that it's some kind of, of constructed device, and so Michael Burnham volunteers to go out in a rocket with a rocket pack out into space and brave the radiation, I guess, mm-hmm. to go figure out what this thing is. What did you think about her decision to do that? Did you like it as a story element? I, I thought this was telling us that she's going to be the one to do every do all the dangerous tasks and risk her life every step, every minute of the. I wasn't. I I wasn't really thrilled about it. I wasn't either. I was a little disappointed. I would have much preferred to see a collaborative problem-solving process than this cowboy jumping into it and, you know, I'm going to run out into space thing. Exactly. Well, yeah, that's exactly what I was trying to say. But you said it better. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. And, And then I... I really, I really, I will say this. I really liked how she was at a loss for words when she encountered the ship and how aesthetically pleasing it was to her. I really enjoyed that, you know, her Vulcan upbringing could not help her with that particular emotion. And I thought the ship was beautiful. What did you think? Well, yeah, it was. Well, I guess at that point, she, I was going to say that it's a beautiful ship and she was in awe of it, but no, finding out her background with it i was kind of surprised although i don't think we knew that it was a klingon ship at the time did we no we didn't and it was not identifiably a klingon ship which kind of also goes to the point of you know that we were talking about earlier about that maybe this is that group of klingons that went to the delta quadrant on their religious quest because they're they're big you know, what appears to be their cultural relationship with Klingon is really very different than what we've seen before. Absolutely. And, for example, like, burying their dead in coffins on the hull. You know, I think, what what was that Next Generation episode where they said they don't care what happened to the body, the body was just a shell? Right, Exactly. Yeah, this is a whole different version of Klingons. A whole different version of Klingons, which is kind of cool because it's nice to get some, you know, more cultural backstory and more cultural depth. I hope there's some explanation as to why it's so different. Yeah, um, there's. I think there's maybe a little bit. They seem to be outcasts. Oh, yes. Good call. You're right. That does seem to be the case. And they don't all, they don't have a house. They're not from the house of anywhere. Um, that's kind of what the impression I got. Interesting. 
Interesting. So outcasts with a really rich and different culture from the rest of Klingons. Now that's actually a really interesting take on the Klingons. Cool. So what did you think about the battle that she had with the Klingon? That who had Michael or yes, the captain? Yes, Ma- Michael. Um, I, I, was, I was sorry that she did end up shooting him because that was not. Do you think maybe in retrospect, knowing her past experience with the Klingons, that maybe she might have overreacted? That's exactly what I think happened. So I think it, it, it's just odd that coming from the Vulcan upbringing, she just seems to be her extreme now. Yeah, she doesn't really. Well, that was an emotional response. I don't. I think she went there with the intent of capturing him, but yes, 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 absolutely. When she ended up killing him, absolutely, that was so pure emotion because it was contrary to the recommendation she'd given the captain. It was contrary to the logic that she had explained. Absolutely. So we have somebody who is, in a lot of ways, dare I say it, Kirk-like in her reactions. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. (laughs) And I'm wondering if maybe this means that the captain of the Discovery, I think that's the Jason Isaacs character, he if he's going to be the Spock to her Kirk. So somebody needs to... Somebody needs to uh, bring her down, or not bring her down, but, you know. To help, to help balance it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. So she goes back to the ship. Oh, after her battle, she's injured, and she she wakes up, and she's in sick bay, getting treatment for radiation poisoning and for her injuries. And um, I have to say, I was very dismayed that she went pelting out of sick bay before she was fully healed. Yes. Um, I think her, like I said before, her emotions are so middle ground somewhere. Yeah. Uh, And I guess that sort of does point to what her character arc is going to be. She's going to have to figure out how to live with these unexplored emotions about the Klingons. And she's going to have to figure out how to deal with it. So we're probably going to see more of this. Sure. So she goes running in. She goes talking, talking to the captain. The captain thinks she's delirious from the radiation poisoning and doesn't believe her that they should, you know, deal with the Klingons. And then I have to say I was really disappointed with the hologram technology to talk to the Admiral. And where did that come from? Yes. Thank you. And again, like I said before, I hope they do something in the story that somehow does a nod to why this technology is different than the technology that was to come 10 years later. Just some creativity in the writers. Yeah, I was afraid that I'd miss something, that I wasn't remembering something, but I was almost positive there was no... The only time I can remember that we ever saw holographic communication was a couple of episodes of Deep Space Nine. Do you remember those? Space Nine, and I'm thinking maybe, maybe Voyager as well. That was probably the worst anachronism of the entire two shows when I was like, wait a minute. We didn't see that next generation. We barely saw it in Deep Space Nine, just two or three episodes, I think. You know, we just, we just didn't see it. And what, what is it doing here now? It was very odd. 
an odd choice. So anyway, the Admiral says, let's go in and talk peace. And so the captain does exactly what she's ordered to do and tries to talk peace. But meanwhile, the first officer goes running off to go talk to dad about well, what do we do? Which, again, is also, you know, she's she's definitely got some sort of latent parent issues here. Oh, Sure. And he says, shoot first. And she goes back and says, shoot first. And the captain's like, we can't do that. And it's so antithetical to everything that the Federation stands for that, of course, they're going to say no. And all the logic in the world isn't going to stop that. And so that in itself is kind of an interesting juxtaposition of emotion that we see that's sort of like the Federation's emotional state juxtaposed against Michael Burnham's emotional state. Yes. You know, they are so emotionally tied to, we are explorers, we come in peace, we don't fire first, that they can't even consider doing something different. And even, um, I don't remember his name, the, the man who was supposed to go to Sick Bay. Oh, yes. Played that. We're Starfleet. Why are we fighting? Yes, he was really shocked by the fact that there was a battle hat taking place. Yeah, I, I, I have to say my son was really upset when he got blown out of the open gaping hole in the ship. When the, he, My son was like, no, that shouldn't have happened. And I was like, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and in the same way that when I, when the Klingon ship that was cloaked rammed the Admiral's ship uh, and I was sitting there with my mouth hanging open, I was very surprised that was not how I thought that next step of the story was going to take place. I was pretty sure that they were going to do some damage because that's the whole point here. You need to overcome the Federation's emotional resistance to fighting. And to do that, you have to do something outrageous. I just wasn't expecting it to be that outrageous. (laughs) No, and I didn't, even at first, I didn't know what was happening crumbling apart and i didn't know why i yeah i was like sitting there going they rammed the ship my husband went yeah my mouth is just hanging (laughs) open so and that's again like like i said the second half i thought was really well done and i like being surprised by storytelling and i like you know having things come out of the blue and and to not expect it and i even have to say i enjoyed watching after Michael had been arrested for mutinying on her captain and giving her the Vulcan neck pinch so that she could go out and could do, were you you surprised that she could do that? The neck pinch? I was because she's technically not Vulcan, but I guess that's something that can be taught. Well, you know what? And um, uh, I guess Data did it once. I think Data did it actually in the episode with um, where Spock was there for the reunification with the Romulans. He, he taught Data how to do it, so Data did it once. And then Captain Picard did it once, too. Yeah, well. do you remember the episode um, Starship Mine, which is a great episode. That one's a lot of fun, where he's trapped on the ship with the terrorists, and the green beam of death is coming to get them. Do you remember that, that one? Well, no. anyway, he gave a neck pinch to the... Tim Russ, who, of course, was soon to be Tuvok in Voyager, but at that point he was just, you know, terrorist oh, number I, five. Now that you say Tim Russ, I yeah. got it. Yeah. 
So I guess it can be it can be taught. So she goes, but I I was also very shocked by the fact that she would do that to her captain. That was such a betrayal. Yes. And yet she did it to save her. And by trying to save her, she lost her. So no no, no irony there. So then after that, she's caught. Captain catches her, throws her into to Blue Wall Jail. And the Klingons are deciding that they're going to fight because they believe that the We Come in Peace of the Federation is actually a... A pretext. They can't see outside of their own cultural framework that, you know, battle is the way of life. And so they can't even imagine that another culture would be like, no, no, really, we don't want to fight. And so they attack. And then there's a really, really good battle. I thought the battle scene was pretty good. What did you think? It's very, it was good. It was well done. I wish they'd ease up on the lens flares just a bit. Yeah, that was Probably the first time it felt like Star Trek to me. That was um, because up until that point, and I, as I said before, I have a hard time with new Star Trek. It will take me a while. <laughs> <laughs> but this did not feel like Star Trek to me. But the first episode, absolutely not. Um, but up and think the battle with the Klingons was when it first felt like Star Trek to me. Yeah. It looked like Star Trek. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It was, and it was well done and it was, and it wasn't, you know, just exploding ships and laser beams for the sake of exploding ships and laser beams. Yes. I thought it was really good. So then the, um, Shenzhou is badly damaged. Other ships are completely destroyed. The Klingons stop fighting because I'm assuming and correct me if you got a different read on this, but I'm assuming they stopped fighting because there was no honor in killing, you know, such a badly wounded prey. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I that this is the kind of way it felt to me. Yeah, you know, they dealt that blow, and so they were going to back off. I don't know. So then they start collecting their dead. I'm presuming to entomb them and put them on the sh- outside of the ship, like they've done for the rest of them, and. Uh, the captain and the first officer come up with this really clever plan where they put a bomb on one of the bodies. I thought that was extraordinary. Yeah. And also a but, little not Starfleet. Right. How did you feel about that from sort of a cultural respect standpoint? I suppose. I don't know. See, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. And I didn't disagree with it. I thought it was actually a very clever, brilliant plan. I was just surprised because it's not a very Starfleet plan. Right, because it was over with. Yeah, it was just, it was really interesting. So, um, were you expecting the captain to be killed in the last fight? I, Like I said, I tried not to watch any of the trailers or anything. So, no, I wasn't expecting her to be killed. Yeah. I, See, I wasn't expecting her to be killed either. And it was a big surprise and a shocking turn of events and sort of disappointing because I enjoyed Michelle Yeoh's acting very much. Yeah. But, it did, it, you know, it did um, show us through the top of motion, too. And then, as you said, Michael's shooting the... Um, Klingon, which was completely a not logical decision, was, you know, the piece de resistance of how this character was going to be moving forward on her journey. 
you know, having to learn how to deal with these emotions about Klingons. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just hoping that this whole series isn't her being a loose cannon. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. I agree 100%. I really hope that, you know, it was exhausting just watching it in these two episodes. So I'm hoping it's not going to be one. (laughs) Yeah. But I think we're going to, I think we have to resign ourselves to the fact that we are going to have to see a journey for her figuring out how to deal with these emotions. Yeah. And I saw that. I think that's going to happen. But I'm hoping we see other character development. I mean, we really, all the really sort of likable and engaging characters that we were introduced to, almost all of them are gone. You know, all yeah. the, all the crew, crew on that bridge, with the exception of Saru, I think are all gone. So now it's going to be, you know, Michael and Saru and then the new folks that I think we're going to be meeting this coming week. What did you think of the trailer for the next episode? I saw the trailer for coming up in the season. Oh, yes. Yeah. I don't know if it was the next episode. Uh, You're right. It Um, wasn't. And I might have said earlier that um, I hadn't watched any of that until, until after I watched the second episode. So... I, I do think, to me, like Star Trek, I'll have to say, coming up. So it feels more like Star Trek coming up? It does. Okay, good. From what, from what I'm seeing in the, in the trailer that I saw today, actually, because I watched that, I watched the second episode again today, and um, I, that's when I just happened to see that trailer. And yes, coming up, it does look totally different than the first two episodes that we saw. And how do you think that this sort of two-part opener compares to the two-part openers of the other series that we've seen. You know, like Encounter at Farpoint and The Emissary, Caretaker. Encounter at Farpoint made a lot of sense to me. It didn't make sense to you? No. It was it was a miracle that I watched it after that. It didn't, I, why was Q there? I don't know. Why? <laughs> I mean, I know they were trying to introduce all these characters, and um, but it didn't. It did not make a lot of sense to me. Now, Deep Space Nine, the emissary, I I love their two part. Yeah, in Deep Space Nine, their first episode was kind of. Um, it almost seemed like they were overacting. I'm trying to. Um, I like that too. I think I think that the, as. I don't think this compares to them. I mean, take away counter at far point because that didn't make any sense to me. But <laughs> as compared to Deep Space Nine and Voyager, I, I don't think this is up there with that. And how about Broken Bow? That was the uh, first uh, two-parter for Enterprise where they actually got to get out on their ship and go return the wounded Klingon. Do you remember that one? Yes, I do. Perfectly, but... Um, it took me a while to get through it, but I don't know, maybe even. Maybe even with that one? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Enterprise, Enterprise was hard for me. Yeah, so um, I, I probably watched the opening like months ago. Like, And I said, I've never watched them. I didn't watch Enterprise when it came out. I was done by then. Um, it didn't sound like anything I wanted to see. Started watching it a few months ago. And it took me a while after the first couple episodes to get back to it. So I don't, I don't remember them as clearly as um, I should, I guess. <laughs> because they, they, they didn't make that much of an impression on me, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I think this one actually is better than Broken Bow. And I agree. I think it's even better than uh, Encounter at Farpoint. Both the Voyager two-parter and the Deep Space Nine two-parter, you know, Emissary and, and I think the other one was called The Caretaker. Those of them were, they, they had these um, sort of more cerebral science fiction elements to them that, as did Encounter at Farpoint for that matter. Whereas this one didn't. This one was just pretty much all character development and action and adventure. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? What do you think? I think we need the character development. And especially if they're expecting people to get hooked on it by giving them one episode and making them pay for the rest of it. So I think character development early is probably the way to go if that's how the if that's what they're expecting they're expecting people to continue on watching and having having to pay for it that you know it's a brilliant observation you're right so are you gonna go back you're gonna watch the, the next one yeah. yeah like i said it looks from the trailer it looks a little more like star trek to me i am too i i i was excited enough to want to continue watching the series hopeful me too. So, any last thoughts before we wrap it up? Uh, oh, the theme music. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I was worried. I was very worried we were going to get another Enterprise. Uh, <laughs> back to basic classic. I loved it. I did too. I thought it was. I thought it was beautiful how it did an homage to the original series. I thought it had um, enough character that it stood on its own by itself. How about the um, the opening uh, uh, sequence, the visual piece? Did you think it matched the theme? Some of it, some of it, some of it almost reminded me of a western. I don't know why. Interesting. The things it looked like they were sketched. I don't know. I have no idea why it reminded me of a western, but it did. Some of it did remind me of Star Trek. Well, actually. Reminding you of a Western is not a bad thing because, of course, you know, Gene Roddenberry's original thought was, you know, wagon train to the stars. So that's kind of cool. Maybe that was purposeful. I doubt it. (laughs) It's probably all all in my head. (laughs) Did you see where um, towards the end, the two gloved hands are reaching out for each other? And they looked like Michelangelo's painting on the Sistine Chapel where God's reaching out to touch the hand of man. That's what it reminded me of. I thought of that. I was like, oh, that looks like that Michelangelo painting. I have to pay more attention to that the next time, too. <laughs> As I'm watching to see about the Klingons traveling and what was the other thing I'm watching. Too. Okay, yeah. So we'll, we'll have to go back and look and see if we if those Klingons made some reference that might lead us to believe that they are the Klingons that showed up in Voyager 200 years later looking for their savior in Tom and Bolana's baby. Right. And we're going to look for... I'm going to look for the, the Western element in the opening credits and you're going to look for the two space-gloved hands looking like Michelangelo's painting on the Sistine Chapel. We're both going to look for more Star Trek-y stuff. I suppose I should look for the Picard Vineyard, too. Well, that's cute, though. That's, that's cute. I think I like so, that. too. It's a nice callback.
Join us next time as we talk about the next episode in the Star Trek Discovery series, Context is for Kings. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find me at autismmom.com. That's autism-mom.com. You can find me at takingstep.com. And we hope that you will join us for the next episode of Moms Going Boldly. The music used on Moms Going Boldly is entitled Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. It is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. And please follow Ross Bugden on Twitter, at Ross Bugden.